Welcome back to the JL Core podcast, where we seek to encourage each other in the truth of the gospel, empower others to share their stories, and embolden God's children to stand for truth, even if we stand alone. I'm your host, Christiana. Thank you so much for joining me today. Today, we are talking about modesty, and I am equally excited and terrified of this episode because, first of all, modesty is something I <laughs> I kind of hate talking about because I think I think that there are so many misconceptions around what biblical modesty is, so many false teachings around that, and it just can be really unhelpful to add to the noise of the conversation. But at the same time, I do think that it is important that we try to look at things through a biblical lens and to understand what the Bible is actually telling us. And especially when it comes to practical ways that we live our lives, modesty when it comes to clothing is one of those things and one of those hot button issues in Christianity that probably will never be resolved, never go away until Jesus comes back. And that like, there's just no way that this conversation is going to be fully resolved because there are always just so many different viewpoints and different standards and different interpretations of what the Bible is saying. And so today I'm going to attempt to tackle some of those things, some of the false teachings, and we'll also be talking a little bit about purity culture and the ways that purity culture has impacted conversations about modesty, women's clothing, and stumbling blocks, things like that. A lot of these like Christian cliches and code words that we throw out that we don't really understand what they mean, but we just say them because they sound cool and make us sound like we know what we're talking about, but we need to stop doing that because sometimes we really don't know what we're talking about. And so today I'm here to try and help bring some clarity and a little bit about me before we get started. If you haven't listened to my podcast before, thank you so much for being here. My name is Christiana and I am better known as Woman of Valor on Instagram and I'm also on Twitter and you can follow me there if you'd like to keep up with my content and see a little bit more of my testimony. But I was raised in the IFB church, which stands for Independent Fundamental Baptist. And so we were Christian fundamentalists to the fullest extent and that was how I was raised. And honestly, I would classify that denomination as a cult, just given what it takes to be a cult and the way that that denomination operated was very cultish. So you'll often hear me say things like, yes, I grew up in a cult. And that's the perspective I'm coming from. As someone who left that denomination as an adult and made the decision to walk with God on my own outside of that and try to find out what freedom in Christ really looked like without having all of the legalistic rules and standards put on me by pastors and teachers, um, books, all of those different resources that I was getting that were harming me as a person and making me question my identity in Christ. So just keep that in mind as I'm talking about that and are talking about modesty. That is the perspective I'm coming from. That was my background growing up. And now I'm trying to form a much healthier relationship with clothing and modest clothing, what it means to honor myself and what it means to honor God as his daughter, as his image bearer. I am still getting over a fairly terrible sinus infection and head cold. So if my voice sounds a little bit scratchy, I am very sorry about that. I'm not trying to do like the Gen Z vocal fry or anything. It's just, I am sick. So, or I'm getting over sickness. So I couldn't put off making podcasts any longer. I've taken a couple weeks off unintentionally. I did not mean to take a break from podcasting, but as I said, I've been very sick very busy and like moving at the end of the month. So 
have a lot of things going on on my end. I hope you're all doing fabulously. So yeah, let's get into this modesty conversation. As always, I want to start out from a biblical perspective, just so we keep everything through that lens. So I'm going to read 1 Timothy 2 verses 8 through 10. And this is the only passage in the Bible that actually talks about modesty or women's clothing. So this is the one that all of these discussions typically revolve around. And this is the verse that is often so misunderstood when it comes to these conversations. So starting in verse eight, it says, I desire then that every in every place, the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is a prop, what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. That's the verse that is always used when it comes to conversations about women's clothing. And the word modesty there has been extrapolated to mean things that it does not. I'm going to read the definition of modest and modesty and what that looks like, because I think it's very important that we understand what the words that we use mean because otherwise we will just be throwing them out and they don't actually have any weight because we're not using them in the correct context. So the word modest means unassuming or moderate in the estimation of one's abilities or achievements. So similar words would be like self-effacing, self-deprecating, humble, unpretentious, unassuming. So it's talking about your manner more than it is your clothing. It's, it's not related to clothing at all. The word modest as it stands by itself is talking about humility and about the way you carry yourself and about not being like assuming or entitled or thinking that you have a status that someone does not and then using that against them. And especially in Bible times when Paul was writing, that was his main goal was to help the church be a more unified place by teaching people how to open up to those who are less privileged than they were. And that that was the context of what he was saying, which is why he points out and says not to wear um, costly gold and pearls and um, fancy clothing. He's not saying your clothing needs to cover you from your neck to knees. He's saying your clothing should help other people feel like they are welcomed in the body of Christ by not trying to make yourself stand out and be on such a higher level than them because you think you have this status or you deserve some sort of special attention because of your wealth or the clothing that you're wearing or the pearls or the gold that you have. Like he's, he's really just saying, try to reach out to other people and make the church a welcoming place by not boasting about all that you have, because that's not a Christ-like thing. And that spirit of self-centeredness and boasting and pride is what he's addressing. He's not talking about a certain style of clothing or a certain cut or a certain length of skirt or something like that. He's talking about the attitude with which they approach the church. And he's saying women need to adorn themselves with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. And so he's saying your good works will tell other people how you feel about God. And the way that you live and the way that you carry yourself, and that includes the clothes that you wear, will tell other people how you feel about God. That does not mean that there is only one right way to dress or that if a woman is wearing something that you personally wouldn't choose, that that doesn't automatically make her immodest. Does that make sense? 
the other word in this passage that I want to kind of focus on is the word adorn, which is not usually focused on at all. I feel like with this passage, people often jump right to defining modesty and what that looks like. But I think it's also important for the context of how we're to approach conversation about it, that we look at the other words in the passage as well. And the one that I want to pull out of there is the word adorn. He says that women would adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. The word adorn means to enhance the appearance of, especially with beautiful objects, or to enliven or decorate as with ornaments. So the cinnamon, sorry, cinnamons, yeah. Synonyms of the word adorn would be array or beautify, um, bedeck or decorate, embellish, emblaze, enrich, so like all of these words are pointing towards making something more attractive, making something more beautiful. And I'm very confused as to how we lost that meaning in all of these modesty conversations, because as purity culture has progressed and as especially like in fundamentalist circles, the conversations about modesty have become less and less about helping women feel beautiful as God created them. And it's more about hiding women and covering their bodies and just making sure that they are not seen. I saw a post recently from a girl who was still in the IFB and she was talking about modesty and she defined modesty as concealing. And she said that biblically modesty means that you are being concealed. And that could not be further from the truth. God did not create you as a woman, as a girl, so that you could constantly run around hiding yourself and hoping that you don't cause other people to stumble. That is not the mindset that you're supposed to be living in. That is a spirit of fear. And as we know, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. We need to really make sure that we're not misinterpreting what these words mean or giving them meaning that we want them to have. And this goes into the fact that a lot of people practice eisegesis instead of exegesis. And the exegesis is so, so important because if we lose the meaning of what Paul was really saying when he's talking about this, and if we try to eisegete that passage and say like, well, this is what it means for me, but it means something different for someone else. But you know, it, if we get if we lose Paul's meaning and his original intent, then we're gonna lose everything else because what really matters is what he was trying to communicate. And what he was trying to communicate was humility is more important than pride and then having status and then thinking you are better than someone else. And ultimately, that's what it comes down to. So if you are going to have a modest attitude in all of the things you do, not just your clothing, but in everything, then that should look like humility. If the way that you approach modesty and if the way that you approach conversations about clothing is making you put other people down or belittle them, or if you are, are like puffing yourself up and you think I'm such a better person than them because I dress a certain way and I'm more modest than they are, that is a very immodest attitude. And it's something that you need to repent of and take to God and ask him to root that out of your heart because that is an immodest attitude. And I don't care if you are wearing a denim skirt to the floor and a turtleneck. If you have the attitude that you think you're better than someone else because of the clothing that is on your back, that is an immodest attitude and it needs to go. One of the best biblical examples for this attitude of modesty or heart posture of humility 
is in Luke 18, where Jesus is telling the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. So starting in verse 10, it says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Modesty is about humility. It's about not putting yourself on this pedestal and thinking that because you're doing something, God is more pleased with you and more favorable toward you than another believer, another person. And if the way that you approach modesty is causing you to think, I am so good at this, I am such a good Christian, other people are going to look at me and think, wow, what a good Christian. That's literally not the point. Like that is actually the opposite of the point. That is everything that Paul is saying not to do. And I can't understand how we've gotten so far from understanding that because, and and like I, I did it for so many years. For 20 years, I thought that I was that perfect Christian girl who was dressing the right way and doing everything right. And you know what it brought me? Fear and shame and anxiety about my body, about men. I was terrified of men. I have a, a podcast episode about dating after the IFB. If you want to hear about my fear of men, go listen to that because I was afraid of men. And that was put on me by all these conversations about modesty that were masked as we are trying to serve God and we're trying to do the right thing. But what's really happening is that you are being put under this weight of shame that was never meant for you and that God never had for you. And in return, it makes you so prideful because you're always thinking about who's looking at you. And it's always about making yourself look good to other people. And the Bible is, it's so far from teaching us to do that. Another great example of this is from 1 Samuel 16, when Samuel is trying to find out who God has anointed as king. And he is looking through all of Jesse's sons right before he finds David. And he comes up to uh, Jesse's first son, his name is Eliab. And it says in verse six that he saw him and he said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. When I was growing up in church, that verse was twisted against us so badly. It was absolutely heinous. They told us that that verse means that because men look on the outward appearance, we still need to make sure that we look perfect on the outside because we are su still supposed to be a quote unquote testimony to other people. We were told that they should be able to look at us in public based on nothing but our clothing and tell that we are Christians. I don't know where that came from because the clothes that you wear don't tell people very much about you. Like they can't really tell that much about you. 
especially because like you never really know what's going on in someone's heart and that's what the whole point is and that's why god why god was saying to samuel you don't know what's going on in that young man's heart like he looks the part he looks like a great christian he's wearing the right clothes and man like he's tall and he's handsome and he looks looks like a king but i've rejected him why because i know his heart and i know what's what's going on inside of him and that's what matters like that's what i'm looking for and so then he finds david unassuming is a shepherd boy has like the furthest thing you could imagine from a king and god says that's the one he is the one i've chosen why because he's humble because he is not seeking his own gain he's not seeking attention for himself by the things that he's doing by his mannerisms by his heart posture he wants to serve god that is what matters to god and when we approach the conversation about modesty from that standpoint and from saying like the goal of the way we dress is to honor god not because we want attention not because we want people to look at us and think wow you're you look so good who cares like honestly who cares because i could be wearing the most modest thing ever i could be wearing literally like i could be covered from head to toe you can only see my eyes and yet if i do not have a modest heart posture a humility in the way that i interact with other people in the way that i interact with god none of it matters and i am still not a modest person because modesty is about so much more than just clothing if you can't tell i'm somewhat passionate about this and this is why i think it's so so important to know what the bible is really saying and what actually matters to god the most because at the end of the day it's not about clothing and if we continue to make it about clothing we are going to be missing the point every single time because that's not what matters most to God. And when we especially find ourselves rejecting other people or questioning their salvation based solely on what they're wearing on the outside, I just, that is so far from the message of the gospel and so far from what God is trying to show us as his church. Like he wants us to, he wants us to be unified as one body, as one bride. And the bride cannot be unified if she can't stop fighting about what she's wearing. It really riles me up. We're going to leave it at that. I am going to read a story from this book that was written by an IFB woman. I am not going to say her name because I don't believe that it's my responsibility to put someone individually on blast. However, I will say that we, my family, did know her family pretty intimately for many years. And we are no longer connected because I... Well, my family, we're not in the IFB anymore. And generally, you don't stay connected with people in IFB once you leave. So I'm going to read this chapter. It's called Cover Up. It's very short. I'm just going to read the whole thing. The young man had been reared in a Christian home, and he had tried so hard his entire life to do what was right. He had just celebrated his 16th birthday and felt that he was ready to conquer the world. This particular day was a Sunday, and he went to church driving in the driver's seat as his dad coached him. When he arrived at church, he walked in and sat down in his favorite pew. Soon people began to file in and sit in front and behind the young man and his family. One beautiful 17-year-old girl, whose parents were regular attendees of the church, came in and sat down in front of this young man. She did not come to church often with her parents. She felt she had better things to do. 
Public school was her place of education, and she had learned well from her peers how to show off her body. Every boy that whistled at her or flirted with her made her feel that she had accomplished what she had set out to do when she dressed herself each morning. Get the boys to notice. Well, this young man immediately became a victim of her flirtatious ways when she plopped her tanned, bare back right in front of him. Her summer dress only had spaghetti straps and was cut low in the front and the back. When she stood to sing, her dress clung tightly to her buttocks. When she turned sideways, her cleavage clearly showed. The young man struggled to look the other way and to keep his eyes on the speaker. However, she became such a distraction that he began to imagine the wrong things. As soon as the sermon was over, the young man raced to the altar and bowed his, his knee before the throne of grace. Oh God, he cried out, I am trying so hard to keep my mind pure for my wife someday. Why do girls dress like that? They seem so cheap to me and worldly minded. I would never want a wife like that. I want a wife that only shows her desirable body to me and not to every other man walking by her. This story is just a generic story that probably describes the struggles of many young Christian men in our world today. Young ladies, what is your heart's desire? Do you wish to be the woman that leads men to the slaughter by the way you dress? Proverbs 7, 21 and 22, with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. He goeth after her straight away as an ox goeth to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. Or do you desire to be a chaste young woman that does not cause men to stumble? 2 Corinthians 11, 2, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Many times we blame the guy for being the one to look at us with dirty thoughts in mind. Yes, the man does have to work to keep his thoughts pure. But what we must remember is that when we dress wrong, causing a man to lust after us, remember that he is not the only guilty party. The way we've chosen to adorn ourselves make us, makes us share in the guilt. Matthew 5.28, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. I know that it is hard to resist the temptation to dress unbiblical, to dress the unbiblical way this day and age. I'm so sorry. The grammar in this is atrocious. However, if you choose to be the kind of young lady that dresses and acts godly, you are considered a woman of great price. Proverbs 31.10, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. Do not be what people call a cheap, quote unquote, woman. Believe it or not, men do have more respect for the ladies that cover themselves up. People can tell if you have a desirable shape without you taking your clothes off. Dressing modestly does not mean that you must dress frumpy with no style. God has created the woman to be beautiful and look desirable to the man. However, let the way we dress create a focus on our countenance rather than on our body. We live in a world where Hollywood promotes constant sensuality. If you constantly watch TV and fill your mind and heart with that all the time, it will become part of who you are. You need to fill your mind and heart with godly influences to be able to stay strong in these areas. Turn off the TV and go read your Bible or a godly book. Rape, molestation, kidnapping, etc. are at an all-time high right now for young women victims. Many times we sit back in judgment at those corrupt men that would do these awful things to young, innocent teen girls. Yes, they are corrupt men and should be punished for their sin. However, when I look around and see girls jogging on the sidewalk dressed in skimpy shorts or go into a store and see a young lady with a tight-fitting jeans with holes in them clear up to her thighs or see a girl standing in a park dressed in a bikini, I ask myself, is the man the only one with guilt?
So many times, women expose themselves to a horrible level of temptation to the man, yet they expect the man to do what is right. Yes, the man should do what is right, but so should we. What we must remember is that men are created to be aroused sexually by sight. Decide today to dress properly so that you know if the man looks to lust at you after you, you do not share in his guilt. You need to pray that God would guide you as to how he would have you dress. My personal conviction is a dress standard of, to wear modest skirts and dresses for gender separation. Deuteronomy 22, 5, the woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are an abomination to the Lord thy God. It is interesting if you notice the bathroom signs in public places. The way that you know which is a lady's or men's bathroom is that the stick figure lady has a dress on and the stick figure man has pants on. The way that we dress as ladies should be different from the way men dress. She says, also, I try to make sure none of my clothes are see-through material and that they are not too tight. I choose not to dress in anything that is too low on the top. My clothing covers my shoulders and I make sure that all my skirts go at least to my knees to make sure that my thighs are properly covered. According to quote-unquote, in-depth Bible study, the thigh is considered nakedness. When wearing a skirt that may modestly come to your knees, it is important to remember that when you sit down, your legs are together so that others do not have a clear view up your skirt. Sit like a lady. A helpful way to do this is to cross your ankles and keep your knees together. If you, do, if you cannot properly tuck your skirt over your knees, then perhaps the skirt is too short for comfort. To sum it up, this is what God has shown me from his word as to how we should have, he should have me dress. Girls and ladies, I do believe will be judged by God when we do not dress in a chaste way. What clothes are in your closet today? Determine today to dress in a fashion that looks modestly attractive and you would not be ashamed to stand before the Lord in. Remember, cover up. It's kind of worse than I remembered it being, especially that part about um, rape. I feel like I need a few weeks to process that. There are so many things wrong with what she just said. The whole story that, first of all, that she made up to blame a woman, a girl, for that young man's behavior at the beginning of that chapter. First of all, she's trying to make a point about modesty with a fake story. Like she made up a story about how a boy is victimized. Victimized, she used the word victim. He was a victim of her flirtatious ways because she was doing what? Wearing a sundress. Now, I don't know about you, but the average sundress is is pretty high coverage. I mean, maybe there are spaghetti straps, but the Bible doesn't say that women can't wear spaghetti straps. And that idea of that being an immodest thing by default is entirely cultural and depends on where you live and how you were raised and what you were taught to think. And it, not everyone is going to look at spaghetti straps and be like, oh my goodness, so immodest. Like I can see your shoulders. How dare you? hide your eyes like not to mention the way that she describes this girl who is not described as having any like understanding that there's a boy sitting behind her objectifying her she kind of paints this picture of like this girl is wearing a sundress and therefore she is just begging for attention and she just wants all the boys to look at her why because she goes to public school and like the way that she talks about it is so misogynistic and belittling of that girl who's not real thankfully but i'm sure you know there are girls who are existing with that shame being put on them and 
it's just so backward and so unchristian to speak that way about another image bearer of God and to put that boy's lust onto that girl and say that because she was sitting in front of him with her family at church, minding her own business, happened to be wearing a sundress that was flattering on her, that all of a sudden she is out to get these young men. And the verses that she uses from Proverbs those verses are not talking about a 17-year-old girl wearing a sundress in church. Like, please, for the love of God, those verses are talking about an actual prostitute. They're speaking about what Proverbs usually refers to as a strange woman. And that's it's talking about a harlot, specifically within the context of a woman trying to lure a man into her home to have sexual relations with him. And there, like Proverbs talks about this in many different areas. A young man will go out and it's always metaphorical because it's trying to teach men a lesson. Like don't be taken into the snare of a harlot. That's what it's saying. It's not saying beware of the girl in your church who's wearing a sundress because she might try to get you to sleep with her. Like that's not what it's saying. And so to even use those verses and to weaponize them against young girls who are minding their own business. And I would just like to say, as someone who has been a 17-year-old girl at some point in my life, I was never putting on clothes that I would think like, oh my goodness, I would love to be objectified in this outfit today. The truth is most teenage girls, especially in the kind of environment that is going to be teaching them about modesty and about biblical womanhood and all of these concepts, the girls who are in that world, they want to feel pretty and they want to feel lovely and seen and heard. And, and those things are very important to them. And they are told so often that everything about them is communicated through their clothing. And so when they become teenagers and they all of a sudden they want to be noticed by a boy, they don't know what to do with that because they've been told that it's wrong and that if a man finds you attractive and um, points that out or shows interest in you, then you might be doing something wrong. You might be causing him to lust or you might be a stumbling block for him. And this so just twists everything about attraction versus lust and um, sexual attraction. All of these things just become so muddy because there's no lines between them. There's no differentiating lines. And so girls don't know how to separate attraction from lust. And so with this girl that she talks about in this story, this fake girl, if I were to put myself in the, myself in the shoes of that 17-year-old girl, my guess is that I would want boys to think I was pretty because I'm 17 and I want to be loved so badly. And as a 17-year-old girl, relationships, boyfriends, romance, all that stuff is right at the forefront of your mind. But I absolutely would not be putting on a sundress and thinking, man, I really hope a kid sits behind me in church and looks at my butt or like objectifies my breasts or can't focus on the worship because my body is in front of him. I would, that is not what I would be thinking. And that is, I would go so far as to say that I can guarantee that's not what that 17 year old girl was thinking. And so when we look at that story, it really translates to the way that real life girls are being viewed in that there is always this assumption that if a girl is dressing a certain way, 
she is looking for a certain kind of attention, which is not objectively true. There are so many different things that could be going on in a, in a situation, things that you don't understand, especially if you don't know that girl. It is absolutely not your place to make a judgment about her intentions in wearing a certain outfit, especially if it's just a regular dress. That's part of what's so confusing to me. and Well, not confusing at all because I understand where they're coming from. But on the other side of it, I'm like, man, let her live, dude. Like it's a dress maybe. Have you considered relaxing? The fact that her shoulders were showing and that caused a boy to become a victim of her body is so problematic. Not to mention that then she goes on later in the chapter to say that women are partly guilty if they are sexually assaulted by men because of the clothes that they chose to wear. Let me make something very clear. That is extremely untrue. That is biblically untrue. A woman is never, not ever, never, ever at fault when a man or anyone sexually takes advantage of her. I don't care what she's wearing. I don't care. I, I don't care where she is, what she's wearing, what she's doing at the time. If that situation presents itself and she is taken advantage of, she is not responsible for that. And that is not a sin that God holds against her. Could she have been asking for a certain kind of attention? Maybe. I, I don't know every situation. So I would say in that situation, she's accountable for her specific actions, but she's not ever responsible for the actions of someone who took advantage of her. This is true because in the story of David and Bathsheba, that's exactly what happened. And David took advantage and he abused his power to take Bathsheba. And God never holds her accountable for that. In fact, he refers to her as an innocent lamb. And all throughout scripture, innocent lambs are their pictures of not only Jesus, but of perfection. And that was kind of God's standard for sacrifice. And he says, bring a perfect lamb without blemish. That is how Bathsheba is described. When Nathan confronts David about his sin, he describes Bathsheba as an innocent lamb who was stolen and murdered. And then David is the man in the story who murdered the, the lamb. And he is entirely guilty. God not once lays any blame at, Bathsheba, at Bathsheba's feet. And so I think that's how we should be approaching discussions about um, sexual exploitation and rape and molestation and absolutely not putting any of that on the girls who have already suffered enough that they don't need to have shame on top of all the other trauma that they're trying to work through once something like that happens. And it's sad that, that even needs to be said, but it does because that happens. However, this episode is not about that. It's about modesty. So I'm going to continue trying to talk about modesty and I'm going to try and not get riled up about it, but it may happen again. So the word modesty, I don't like it. I don't like it because I don't think it sums up clothing very well or the way that we should approach clothing as Christians. I would much rather prefer words like appropriate and decent, things like that, that you can kind of fit into different situations. For instance, I would not say that it's appropriate for a woman to wear a bathing suit at church. However, I would say that it is appropriate for her to wear a bathing suit at the beach 
or at the pool. Why? Because the situation calls for that specific outfit. So rather than saying, having blanket statements of women should not wear bathing suits, we'll say, well, okay, well, where? Is it appropriate to wear a bathing suit? Is she at a pool party? Okay, she can wear a bathing suit then. There's nothing wrong with that because she is wearing something that is appropriate for the occasion because different situations call for different outfits. And so I think when we stop making it about women's bodies and how much they are covered and more about what is appropriate for each specific situation in this particular context, church specifically is usually where most of these confrontations happen. So I think it's better to use the word appropriate when it comes to clothing because it can help us kind of break down like what fits in in a specific situation. Does that make sense? I already said that I was raised at IFB and if you were raised at IFB, you'll get everything I'm about to say, but there were a lot of a lot of rules we had to follow growing up when it came to clothing and there were like tests that we would go through whenever we bought clothes. In a changing room, you just go through this series of tests to see if an article of clothing is appropriate. And I'm going to read out of the book Girl Talk. They've provided a list of tests so that I don't even have to come up with my own, even though I probably could come up with this list. Uh, But these are all of the official modesty rules. This is called a modesty heart check. They start off this little chapter with 1 Timothy 2.9, which is awesome of them. They say, start with a heart check. What statement do my clothes make about my heart? In choosing what clothes to wear today, whose attention do do I desire and whose approval do I crave? Am I seeking to please God or impress others? Now, those two things, I would say, yeah, those are good questions to ask yourself because you should be trying to please God and not impress others or necessarily like go out of your way to seek undue attention for your clothing. But that goes both ways because if you are dressing modestly only so that others notice how modestly you are dressing, that is still asking for attention that is not bringing glory to God. And therefore, it is an immodest heart posture. So the next question is, what I wear consistent with the biblical values of modesty, self-control, and respectable apparel, or does my dress reveal an inordinate identification and fascination with sinful cultural values? That's a really interesting sentence that I don't know what to do with because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because it points out that, or it says that the biblical values of modesty, self-control, and respectable apparel, but the Bible does not give any specific guidelines for modesty. It doesn't say make sure your skirt hits you four inches below the knee or make sure that you follow the three-finger rule. And it, there's no actual guidelines. So it's it's virtually impossible to say biblically that outfit is immodest because there are no biblical guidelines. So we have to go back to like what the Bible says about other Christian values and how we're supposed to approach other areas of life rather than just focusing on, on like if that shirt is sleeveless, it's inappropriate because your shoulders are showing. Well, who decides? You know what I'm saying? And also this points out that there are, it says sinful cultural values, but that's so subjective because if you're going to go with that, then you could say that something is a sin in one culture, but not in another culture. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense because something can't be, that's like saying something is sinful for men to do, but not sinful for women. All people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there is no sin that is right for someone to commit and wrong for someone else to commit. There's no sins that are okay for men and not okay for women or okay for women, not okay for men. Like sin is sin. 
and sin doesn't change based on what culture you grow up in. Modesty can change depending on what culture you're in. There are some countries that would be much more conservative in their dress and other countries that would be much more liberal. And it depends on the culture and the way that they view relationships, men and women. There's so many things that go into it. Like there are some places of the world that you could walk around topless and it would not be considered immodest at all. If you did that in the US, people would think you're being immodest. Why? Because it's cultural. It's all cultural. And so that's why it's so important that we not say that, like they make these blanket statements about clothing without understanding what the Bible is really trying to tell us, which is that it's about humility first and foremost. Am I saying you should walk around topless? No, I'm not saying that. I have to give a disclaimer because people always accuse me of that. Continuing on, it says, who am I trying to identify with through my dress? Is the word of God my standard or is the latest fashion? Again, I don't really like this because it's kind of putting down people who want to dress fashionably or wear trendy clothes. And I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to look good or wanting to be attractive. Like that's totally okay. God isn't upset at you because you want to look nice. Have I asked other godly individuals to evaluate my wardrobe? And does my clothing reveal an allegiance to the gospel or is there any contradiction between my profession of faith and my practice of godliness? Again, some weird questions because I don't know how someone could look at me wearing jeans and a t-shirt and be like, oh yeah, that girl has an allegiance to the gospel. Like, unless I'm wearing a giant Jesus saves on my sweatshirt, like, I, how would they know? How would they know? So you can see here that this is, this is ultimately adding a lot of pressure to choosing clothes that does not need to be there. Because no one was out in the wilderness and looking around and seeing Jesus and his disciples and looking at them because of their clothing. If anything, Jesus dressed very poorly. He didn't even have a permanent home. Like he was not walking around hoping that everyone would look at him and see how strong he was in his faith because of the clothes that he was wearing. It was so not about that. People followed Jesus because of who he was not because of what he wore on the outside. Um, so then she says that we need to do a modesty heart check before we leave the house. So what are some things you should look for as you stand in front of your mirror? Here we go. Are you ready, ladies? So from the top, when I am wearing a loose fitting blouse or a scoop neck, can I see anything when I lean over? If so, I need to remember to place my hand against my neckline when I bend down. That's totally like a comfort level thing. And I did used to do that a lot. I used to do the bending over test in the mirror and we would always just wear undershirts to make sure that nothing could be shown. But we also didn't really wear tops that had low cut necklines that were low enough for that to happen. The second one, if I'm wearing a button down top, I need to turn sideways and move around to see if there are any gaping holes that expose my chest. If there are, I've got to grab the sewing box and pin between the buttons. This is so much pressure for girls who have bigger chests than others because like buying clothing is not something that is objectively modest for everyone like the very blanket statement generalizations of modesty absolutely fall apart when you take into account that there are different body types and that women have different shapes and sizes because something could look completely quote unquote modest on me 
and then completely quote unquote immodest on someone who has a different body type because I'm not a very busty person. I have never been a very curvy girl, but other girls who were curvy would be considered immodest wearing virtually the same thing that I was, but it's just because their body is more problematic than mine. And do we see the breakdown there and how harmful that is? So continuing on, it says, the same check is needed if I am wearing a sleeveless shirt. When I move around, can I see my bra? If I do, I need the pins again. I don't think there's anything wrong with knowing that someone's wearing a bra. If you see a bra strap, boys, you'll live. Am I wearing a spaghetti strap, halter, or sheer blouse? Not even the pins will fix this problem. Most guys find these a hindrance in their struggle with lust. It's time to go back to the closet. Guys, I would like you to weigh in. Spaghetti straps, do those hinder you significantly in your walk with God? If they do, if the answer to that is yes, please seek help because that shouldn't be pushing you over the edge. Like, I don't even know what to say here. And also the fact that she's saying most guys, most guys, but like I need to see the the group of guys that were polled for this because I highly doubt it was most. So she goes on and says, can I see the lace or seam of my bra through my shirt? In this case, seamless bras are a better option. So now we're going from seeing the strap to can you see the seam of your bra? So there is no way that you can win because if something is just a little bit tight or if it just stretches a little bit too much when you move your arms or you bend or you you turn, like there is no winning in purity culture. There is none, especially not for women, but not for guys either. There's no winning. More key questions. Does my shirt reveal any part of my cleavage? Does my midriff show when I raise my hands above my head? Is my shirt just plain too tight? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, then I need to change my outfit. I remember doing these tests all the time. We would always raise our hands up above our head as high as we could. And if our stomach showed at all, my sisters and I, we would have to change. Um, I very distinctly remember doing that one. Uh, The cleavage one, that was never really an issue for me. But for girls who did struggle with with showing cleavage, they would always just wear really high neck undershirts that would just absolutely ruin whatever the outfit they were wearing. Like now it makes me really sad whenever I see it because I'm like, oh man, that's such a cute outfit destroyed by that undershirt because you weren't allowed to show anything below your collarbone typically. So it's not even just cleavage. It's like anything lower than your collarbone is pretty off limits. So we're moving on down to the bottom of the outfit. Does my midriff or underwear show when I bend over or lift my hands? If so, is it because my skirt or my pants are too low? Either my shirt needs to be longer or I need to find a skirt or pants that sits higher. I also have to turn around to see if what I'm wearing is too tight around my backside or if the outline of my underwear shows. If so, I know what I have to do. This happened to me multiple times where I would buy a long, I'm talking floor length maxi skirt, but if it was slightly too tight, around my butt, then I wouldn't be able to wear it or I'd have to wear a very long shirt. So I'm talking a skirt that went from my waist to the floor was not modest enough because it ever so slightly showed the outline of my backside. And like I said, again, like I am not a very big person. So I can only imagine how much more difficult it was for girls who were curvier and whose bodies were considered more problematic. 
that was not usually an issue for me, but occasionally it was. And I can tell you looking back now, those outfits were not any of them, not any of them, immodest, none of them. So she's going on and says, as for shorts, I can't just check them standing up. I need to see how much they reveal when I sit down. If I see too much leg, I need a longer pair. I wasn't even allowed to wear shorts growing up. I wasn't allowed to wear jeans either. So this is even a little bit, um, we were even more conservative than this. Then she says, speaking of skirts, watch out for those slits. She says, the sit-down check applies to my skirt or dress as well. And I must remember to keep my skirt pulled down and my knees together when I'm seated. And speaking of skirts, watch out for those slits. Do they reveal too much when I walk? Pins are also helpful. Sometimes we would, my sisters and I, we would walk upstairs to make sure that slits were not too revealing in a skirt. But I'm talking like a skirt where the slit hit you in the middle of your calf. So it couldn't possibly be immodest when you walk or too revealing. I don't want to use the word immodest. It couldn't be too revealing when you walk. We would walk upstairs because that was like the easiest way for us to tell. And then if it was too long of a slit, we would usually sew it up or use safety pins. So she says, before I leave, I need to give my skirt a sunlight check. Is it see-through? If so, I need a slip. Finally, I must remember to do this modesty check with my shoes on because high heels make my dress or skirt appear shorter. And don't forget, this applies to formal wear as well. And note on swimwear. It's not easy, but you can still strive to be modest at the pool or beach. Look for one-piece bathing suits that aren't cut high on the leg and don't have low necklines. Oh my goodness. Anyone else feeling a little exhausted after that very long three pages of rules you have to follow and tests you have to go through before leaving your house every single day with a new outfit? I cannot imagine going through all of these tests every day now and thinking so obsessively over my outfit. Like, is this okay? Is this okay? What if someone looks at me a certain way? Oh my goodness. What if, what if I raise my hands too much? Oh no. Like what if my, someone sees my knee? Like that's how I used to think about my clothing all the time. It was terrible. I was constantly just afraid. And what's worse is that there were times when I went to church in an outfit that was perfectly appropriate, not at all problematic and was asked to change because a pastor, a man who was old enough to see, or a man who was old enough to be my father would point me out and say that I was immodest and I would be forced to change my outfit. And that happened to me multiple times. It happened to my sister. And I just remember crying over that, like leaving the church building and crying and burning with shame that I should never have had to feel because I was an innocent girl who had done nothing wrong, who was not seeking attention, who had worn an outfit that was perfectly appropriate and who was still objectified. So all of these rules ultimately are not working. They're not doing anything because the modesty standard is so subjective and so open to interpretation. And that's why I don't think it's very helpful to set standards of modesty and specific clothing, like dress codes and things. If you like, if a worship team has a dress code, totally fine. Like the, I'm on the worship team at my church and there are certain things that we, they ask us not to wear because we are representing the church. That's completely different. But going to a young girl 
who is vulnerable, who is probably not emotionally stable, who is likely having some sort of identity crisis because she's a teenager and that's how teenagers work, going to her and telling her that if she wears a skirt that's a little bit too short or a shirt that's a little bit too tight, a grown man in the church might visually take advantage of her. That is absolutely wrong. And I believe that it goes against the spirit of Christ and the spirit of unity in the church. And I think that that needs to stop immediately. There is no scenario where that's appropriate. And and people might disagree with me, but I really just don't think that's ever appropriate. If a conversation with a girl needs to be had about modesty, that's a conversation that should be had in private with another woman. I don't believe that it's a man's job to have that conversation. And scripture makes it pretty clear that older women should be teaching younger women. It doesn't, Paul, you don't see him going to individual women and telling them that their shirts are too low cut. And that's what's often happening in fundamentalist churches and denominations, purity culture. It's a lot of men will be dictating to women what they think is appropriate, but that doesn't help the problem. And it only causes the men to think of women more in a sexual context, because when you try to desexualize everything, it actually becomes hypersexualized. It's kind of like putting a do not walk on the grass sign on the grass. And what, is pe- what do people want to do? They want to walk on the grass. Why? Because there's a sign there that says don't do it. And so when you turn sex into this forbidden thing, and not only do you say don't have sex before marriage, you say don't hold hands, don't kiss, don't make too much eye contact, don't spend any time alone with a person of the opposite sex, don't engage in long conversations with a person of the opposite sex, then everything about the opposite sex becomes sexual. Every single interaction, every single glance, every look, every accidental touch, everything becomes very sexualized and it they end up getting the opposite result of what they're looking for. And the modesty conversation greatly plays into that because it makes young men unable to view women as image bearers and as whole people. And it turns women into an assortment of tools and body parts that that are to be used as a means to an end. And that is so antithetical to the gospel that Jesus brings and the victory and the freedom that is available to us through the gospel. And it completely removes self-control, which is the fruit of the spirit from the equation, because it takes that self-control from the men and says, well, if a girl is dressing immodestly, then you kind of have an out because you know she was somewhat asking for it. So yeah, you're responsible for your own actions, but if she's dressing a certain way, then you know you really can't help yourself. And then they'll tell the boys, God made you this way. And as in that chapter I read earlier, you heard her even say that, like, this is just how men are wired. And that's the overarching thinking is that this is just how men are. And so women always have to be accommodating men's bad behavior rather than saying, men, you have self-control and through the power of Jesus Christ, you can say no to temptation. You can flee from it. You can resist the devil and he will flee from you. You have the power through Jesus Christ because you have the Holy Spirit in you to exercise self-control and to view that woman, that girl 
who God loves so deeply, so, so deeply, you have the ability to not objectify her, to refuse to do that, to see her as an image bearer of God, and to understand that when you objectify another person, a human being, I don't care if it's a, it's a girl or a guy, a guy or a girl, anytime a human being is turned into an object rather than an image bearer, that grieves the heart of God. And he sees that as a horrible, violent tragedy. And we should see it as that too. And once we understand the gravity of how terrible that is, that objectification of another image bearer, I think it really brings it into more of a, a perspective of how God feels about that. And it makes us want to stop doing that because it's so harmful. All right. Now I want to play a little bit of a sermon that is probably the worst sermon I've ever heard in my life, but it's from an IFB pastor and it was preached a few years ago. Let me see. When, when was this preached? Four years ago. So fairly recent, recent enough that it's still in circulation. And this sermon was preached to hundreds of young people at a youth conference. And this is actually at a church that I visited several times as I was growing up. So it's kind of close to home for me. And I just want you to hear the way that he talks about the relationship between women and men and modest clothing, as he calls it. And this will really drive home the kind of harmful teaching that is being pushed in fundamentalist denominations and purity culture. So just listen to this for a minute. Ladies, get your pins out because sitting around you are young men, that they are our kings. They are our leaders of the future. And the reason we have family structures to where the lady is the breadwinner and the lady is the one that has to step up to the plate. Ladies, by nature, were never screamers. They are not hollerers. They were never meant to be the breadwinner. They were never meant to take the lead. But the reason they are stepping up and taking the lead is because our boys growing up don't have confidence to take the lead. God knew what he was talking about when he said, if you want your kings and your authorities to be able to let you live in peace and let you live in honesty and let you live the life you want to live, then you better go to prayer. Then he takes a right turn in verse number nine and he says this. Now you women, look at me. If you want your men to be able to lead you someday, then you take care of your apparel. You don't have a clue what your apparel when it's not modest, does to the young men around you. You have no clue. And whether these young men around us would like to admit it or not, and I'm, young men, I'm getting ready to ask you to help me be honest with the young ladies. Whether we like to admit it or not, the power of how you dress, ladies, can absolutely destroy future kings and it will absolutely destroy churches. And it will absolutely destroy a man. And until you ladies understand the power of it, that you should not be ashamed to dress modestly. You should not even hesitate to dress modestly. 
Nobody should have to badger you into dressing modestly. But when we get this one subject down, you listen to me, you're going to find out that not only will you have a self-esteem that's a, that, that is incredible, but the men around you will start listening to the Lord. The Lord will start working on their heart. And the Lord will start bringing them to some knowledge of truth and salvation and what they need to be. There are so many things that are frustrating about that sermon clip, and he says even worse things later on in the sermon, but just the fact that he's not only saying that women are responsible to keep men from lusting, but they're also responsible for making sure that these boys remain in the faith and like grow up to be men of God and or kings, as he calls them. And that is such an unnecessary pressure to put on a woman, a grown woman, but also on these young girls because this was preached to teenagers. And so he's basically telling all these teen girls that if these guys who are sitting around them do not turn out to be good men of God, it is completely their fault because they chose to not wear something that he deems appropriate. And this is an IFB sermon. So like in the IFB, there's very strict dress codes and standards. And so he's basically saying, if you don't completely cover your body from your neck down to a few inches below your knee, then you are immodest. And later in that sermon, he actually says that the knee is the doorway to lust. And he tells girls that if their knees are showing, like when they're sitting down with their legs crossed, if their knees are showing, then they quote unquote have their doorway open, which is um, just so unnecessary to say and also very borderline inappropriate and pornographic like just completely out of control he also goes on to say later on that he was like at a youth conference at one point and saw a bunch of girls sitting on the front pew and he ran out of the auditorium and told the pastor he couldn't preach because he was able to see their knees and it was just too distracting for him and he used this as like as like a bragging story to kind of like bolster himself up and be like i'm such a good man of god because i wouldn't look at those girls knees and all I'm thinking is you are just admitting to the fact that you are a pervert. And what this kind of modesty messaging really tells us is not only do they not respect women, but also there is nothing that a woman can wear that will keep a man from lusting after her if that is his intent when he looks at her. There is nothing, no skirt, no dress, no complete covering from head to foot, nothing that you can wear as a woman that will keep a perverted man from looking at you inappropriately and that is why jesus said if you look at a woman to lust after her you've already committed adultery with her in your heart and he never ever puts the blame for that on the woman he never says if you see a woman who's who's causing you to lust you need to tell her to cover her knees or you need to tell her to cover her shoulders no he says you need to gouge out your eye because your eye has caused you to sin your eye not that woman's body not that woman's clothing your eye has caused you to sin and it is your responsibility to take accountability for that sin and to repent from it and to not objectify an image bearer of God because he sees that as a terrible tragedy and you should too. When we say that our holiness or our sanctification or other people's faith is dependent on the way that we dress and the way that we present ourselves, we're essentially telling Jesus that his work on the cross was not enough and that we still have to help him make us holy and that we still have to work for our salvation in some way. And that even though he did die, and yes, that was the greatest sacrifice of anyone ever in history, still it wasn't enough for us. And God, our standards are higher than yours because 
we know what you said by grace through faith, but we're going to say by grace through faith, but also denim skirts. Like when we really break down that mindset of constantly having to dress hot, constantly having to look right, constantly having to do, 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 like it just work, 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 work. What you're saying to God is that you don't trust him to be powerful enough to change people without your influence. And we're also telling him that we don't trust the spirit in other people. We're saying, yes, like that person is saved and they are indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God who has the power to convict and the power to cut like a two-edged sword and bring truth and grace and light where there is darkness. But still, that's not enough. We still need more. We still need to be their Holy Spirit. And let me tell you right now, it is not your responsibility. It's not my responsibility to be anybody's Holy Spirit. Your pastor cannot be your Holy Spirit. Your Sunday school teacher cannot be your Holy Spirit. Your youth pastor cannot be your Holy Spirit. You know who your Holy Spirit is? The Holy Spirit. And he's who you have to be listening to. And we can't elevate anyone to that position of dictating who God is and what God is saying to us when it doesn't actually line up with the scripture. And in that sermon clip we listened to, basically all the scriptures that he took in that sermon were completely out of context. Everything that he said was wrong, but there were still so many kids who were influenced who were influenced by that and kids who walked away from that message thinking that they had to do all of those things in order to be right with God. And that's so sad to me. It's so heartbreaking because I just want people to know and to really grasp onto the fact that God has given us victory through Christ, through his work on the cross. Death is defeated. We can live in holiness, sanctified before God, favored and chosen and loved as his children. And we don't have to constantly be begging for that favor. We don't have to constantly be working for it. Now, faith without works is dead. But what are those good works that are going to be produced in our life? They're the fruit of the Spirit. is love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, goodness. Like all of the, the fruit of the Spirit is going to flow out of us. And that is the evidence that we are true sons and daughters of God. It's not the way we dress. It's not the songs we sing. It's not the Bible version we carry. It is how we treat other people, how we relate to them, and how we share the gospel with them just by living our lives and exemplifying Jesus by who we are because we reflect him as his people. And that's what it means to truly be a modest person and to have that humility in you and to know that it's not about you, it's about Jesus. And everything you do is meant to reflect his image. The underlying message of the modesty messaging and purity culture is that women's bodies are dangerous, that women's bodies are walking temptations for men that need to be hidden and concealed and covered and afraid of like men are taught to be afraid of women's bodies because they're taught that they can't control their urges and their lusts. They're taught that they literally are powerless against a woman's body which not only is antithetical to the gospel, but it's also very disempowering for men and very infantilizing. Like, honestly, if I was a man, I would be offended by that because who are you to tell me that I am not able to control myself when Jesus Christ has given me the fruit of the Spirit by his work on the cross and through his gospel? And self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. And so that means that we can practice self-control. But also on the flip side, women are being taught that their bodies are harmful to men and that they are responsible, but also that they're dangerous. Like 
They're being taught that their body is a weapon for man's destruction. And that's such a dangerous message because it makes women hate themselves and it makes them misunderstand God and think that maybe he hates them too and maybe he created them to feel this deep brokenness and this deep sense of self-loathing or self-hatred or just misunderstanding who they are and who God created them to be and why why did God give me this body and why did God make me a woman? And I remember feeling those deep things and those those thoughts and a lot of confusion as a little girl even and thinking, man, I, I wish I was a boy because my life would be easier if I was a boy because being a girl is so hard and there's so many things that I have to watch out for as a girl and so many things are my responsibility. And come to find out, none of those things were my responsibility. It was all these extra biblical rules that had been put on me, but they still reflected who I thought God was. And I started to see God through the lens of the extra biblical rules rather than through the lens of his love letter in scripture and his gospel and the finished work of Christ on the cross. And I'm going to keep preaching that until we all just get it through our heads that our salvation is through Christ's work alone. By grace, we have been saved through faith. There is nothing that we can do that will make us holier before God. No clothing that we can wear will make us holier. No outfit that we put on makes us holier. And modesty ultimately is about humility. It's about humbling yourself before God, recognizing that he has created you to love him and to be loved by him and to bring him glory. And everything we do should be a reflection of that mission, of that goal to bring God glory. And that is not confined to a single space or a single culture or a single set of dress standards. Glory for God can be expressed in so many different ways by so many different people. And that's what's so beautiful about it. And that's what makes it so glorious. And that is what makes Christianity so beautiful and so diverse. God is not trying to quench everyone's individuality. He's trying to make us each more like him in our own individual ways. And... That might look different for everybody, and it should. We're not supposed to be carbon copies of each other. We are supposed to be seeking after Christ as we exist in and of ourselves. Like We are supposed to be making the most of the gifts that he's given us, of the talents that he's given us, not with jealousy or with covetousness, looking at others and what they're doing or how they're dressing and thinking, man, if I was just more like them, because that puts us back in that competitive mindset. And competitive Christianity is no way to live because we're not supposed to be competing with each other. We're not supposed to be running a race against one another. We're supposed to be fighting this good fight no matter what other people around us are doing. We're supposed to be running our race no matter what the other people around us are doing. This relationship that we have with God cannot be dependent on the people around us because otherwise that foundation is never going to stand strong. Never going to stand the test of time because our foundation can only be Jesus. And he is the only thing that can keep us faithful and keep us holy and sanctified and set apart for his purpose. And now I feel like I'm just kind of ranting and preaching and I kind of got off topic. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this episode here. And I just want to say thank you so much to everyone who tuned in. I know that this is a long episode and I hope that everything makes sense and that my thoughts were coherent. There's probably more I could say on this, probably less. (laughs) 
If you liked this podcast and you want more content just like this, follow me on Instagram at Woman of Valor where I share more about my testimony. I also have a newsletter on Substack and you can follow me on Twitter as well. And I talk about purity culture, modesty, women's issues, church hurt, spiritual abuse, all of those different issues, as well as freedom in Christ and victory and what it means to act walk as a child of God. Follow me on all those platforms and I would love to stay in touch with you there. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I will see you on the next one.